Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news in the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. Now, today's episode, we're going to talk about NVIDIA unveiling their graphics card lineup, Super Mario 35th Anniversary Direct, and another update on Apple versus Fortnite. But first, we're going to talk about Marvel's Avengers. So Marvel's Avengers released last week. I was able to play it for a few days. I think it released, uh, I think it was last Friday. I was able to get it on Wednesday and um, I was able to go through the campaign, play a couple of post-campaign missions. I was actually able to put up a, I want want to say review because I, you know, honestly, I don't like the term review or actually I, I have nothing against the term review, but I actually don't like the way that reviews are handled in our industry or frankly any industry to be honest with you because most of the times the basis of a review usually just comes down to i mean how how, i don't really know how else to put this but basically it's this game is either great or this game is really really bad and you should avoid it and most of the time there's really no middle ground so i've always thought and talked about how i would personally handle reviews for Camp Koji and there's a few things that I came up with. Number one is never ever applying a score to a review. I think review scores are some of the most probably one of the most useless things <laughs> within our industry or frankly kind of any industry, but more so of our industry because I, I always think of review scores as, you know, these indicators that people look at and what that score and that number really means is not okay. I understand that in your opinion, this game is a seven, eight, nine, four, five, six. It's usually depending on how much of a fan I am of this upcoming game, I'm going to look at your review score and figure out if that score matches the score that I had in my mind. And then if it doesn't, I'm going to go online and complain about it. So if you're a huge Pokemon fan and IGN gives it a seven or eight. IGN doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, So it's these small things like that. Or I know that a lot of people go into these websites and they wait for a review, go up the embargo lifts and they just kind of scroll through the article and they tell themselves, okay, what number did this game get? And so because of that, I don't think I will ever, ever do reviews that, carry a score i just think they're absolutely useless you know if you if you are the type of person that uses reviews to help make a decision on whether or not you should spend your heart on cash on a piece of entertainment uh and usually we're talking about the industry 60 dollars, which is about to go up to 70 bucks i think you should be able to carve 10 minutes of time out of your life to either read someone's thoughts on a game or carve 10 minutes out of your life, you know, out of your life to hear someone talking about that, uh, if that's really the reason why you're going uh, towards reviews. So for that reason, I think that review scores kind of defeat that purpose. I think they, unfortunately, they play on a lot of people's laziness. And I know that there's countless men and women around the world that will go to review, see the score, you know, read the bullet points and then you just kind of leave and then not read the review at all. So that, that was number one. Number two is I wanted to also make sure that people understand that reviews are, uh, there's no such thing as an unbiased review. 
and, and that's just my personal view on it. I just don't think that there's a way that you can do something like that. Um, you know, it, it, once again, bringing up some of these uh, publications, you know, if, if GameSpot has to review Pokemon, they're going to give that game to the guy who's been playing Pokemon since like Blue and Red, for example. And there's just no way that there's not going to be any sort of personal feeling put in on it, you know. So the way that I, I tend to approach, you know, reviews or the review that it did for Marvel's Avenger and, and hopefully going forward is very, very simple, which is looking at it from a subjective point of view and understanding the reality of entertainment media as a whole, which is even though something is not good to you it doesn't mean that it's bad and that was really the way that i looked at marvel's avengers i really enjoyed the campaign i thought the campaign was amazing definitely way better than i thought it would have been especially because i feel like square enix did a really really poor job kind of selling this game i think they focused so much on you know hey we're post-launching heroes and they focus so much on a loot system and they focus so much on trying to get this game to be the next big you know game as a service that they honestly their marketing department just plum forgot to 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 try to sell us this story and i and honestly i i do feel like it was kind of a mistake especially when i think about the beta i kind of think to myself like man they would have put that that opening level where you're with kamala khan on the chimera and it's like the avengers day you know this it's the celebration it's all the different booths it really does feel like you're at at a comic-con you know probably one of the, the the first few times i've ever felt that in a video game like man i really do feel like i'm in a convention it felt alive it felt it felt real it felt grounded and i said to myself man i, I wonder why they didn't put this in the beta that they did because they they did put a single player mission on there uh, that was taken out of the campaign where you are in a mission with kamala and, and bruce banner and i really wish they would have put that in because i i think it would have convinced a lot more people to look at this game in a new dimension because i know that a lot of people just looked at it from the multiplayer aspect they looked at it from okay you just kind of replay missions kind of same old same old objectives but i think that, that if they would have put that into this uh into that beta i think it would have sold a lot people more on the campaign because the campaign is is really good and you know the kind of review that i put on which uh you know for the future any of these i do it they're going to be that same name let's talk about because like i said i i don't want it to be just a traditional review uh i ended it with saying look if you're really into this type of game if you know what you're going into when you get this game or or what what you're getting yourself into before buying the game i think you absolutely will love it you know the the combat is definitely way deeper than i thought it was i remember at one point after i think it was one of the last times that we saw the game i want to say it was earlier this year i kind of made a joke i think it was on on uh, I, I joked on twitter that the game feels like you could play it with a, like cell phone controls because that's kind of the way that it looked um but the combat is way deeper than it looks on the surface especially once you start upgrading those skill trees there are a lot of just really 
cool dope moves that you can unlock you know one of my favorites was you can unlock a move for captain america where you can throw the shield and when it comes back to you you can kick it back uh if if you get the timing right so small things like that you kind of really do begin to open up your your character or excuse me your 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 favorite hero my personal favorite was Miss Marvel, I just think that they did a really good job of taking her powers and translating it into this in-game combat. And one of my first thoughts when the game was announced was, okay, if we can go on missions, but we both can't use Iron Man. I felt like that was sort of a little bit of a deal breaker um, because I felt like, man, what if one, like, what if the Hulk feels more powerful than any of the other heroes? But I think that the team did a really good job of not letting any avenger feel weak they just feel very very different and i think that they did a a a really good job when it came to that and like i said once you unlock some of the moves the combat does get fun you know after after i finished the campaign and i went through a, a, a few of the uh post campaign missions i realized very quickly like oh man this this game isn't for me you <laughs> you're going to the some of the same areas uh that you've been before you know the war table the the game must you know internet is required to play the game you know uh you cannot play this game offline i actually never tried it but the box art does say internet required and i think one of the reasons why is because the war table refreshes i i can't remember what the rate is every few hours the war table refreshes and you get different missions on there but the missions are in the same areas and they're usually the same objectives. And I said to myself, I was like, look, this, this just isn't for me. But I don't think that that means that the game is bad. It just means that the game isn't for me. So if you're that type of gamer that knows that, you know, I'm going to play this every day. I really love the Avengers unlocking those new moves. You, you, you are you can convince yourself like, no, this won't get boring, even if I'm doing the same objectives. If, you know, there's challenges and things for me to unlock I'll, I'll i'll keep playing it especially with square enix having uh, a pretty robust post-launch content plan with with characters coming out and new missions and areas i think you are going to enjoy this game it's just one of those things where you have to be very certain of that fact in order for you to really get into this game and and really get your 60 dollars worth this is also one of those titles where, you know, I'm going to be honest, in November, Black Friday week, I could definitely see this game going for like 30 or 40 bucks. So if you're a little bit patient, I do, this game kind of does feel like that type of game where Square Enix would say, let's take advantage of Black Friday. This being a game as a service and them really pushing something like that, I could definitely see retailers dropping into like 30, 40 bucks for Black Friday. Um, Especially now with Black Friday happen, you know, pretty much this year's Black Friday is going to be almost all digital. So I could see this game taking advantage of that. But look, the campaign was great. I thought the game was 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 really f- uh, kind of fun to play. You know, unlocking new moves did make the characters uh, a lot more interesting. Uh, I just wish there was better enemy variety, mission variety. I do think that Square Enix made. Square Enix and Crystal Dynamics made a decision. The decision they made is they wanted to create this as a game, as a service, something that you buy that you will keep for years and keep on playing. And unfortunately, I think that was, while 
while I don't I, I don't look at that as like a super greedy evil route to take as a company, I do think that it sort of dominated the design ideas around this game. And I think that's like one of the reasons why this game even has this gear system, which I, I, I looked at it, and I was like, man, this game, it kind of just doesn't need a gear system. It, it doesn't. I think with the skill tree, you know, there are certain skills that you can apply where you can have, you can choose from like three different effects for some of your special moves and things like that, like being able to have small modifiers, I think would have been just enough. But the gear system is just weird. It's also weird to see things like on the Hulk, the gear system is like changing the bones in his hand. It, it's just like this really weird stuff. That kind of feels like there's, you know, the the design of this game is revolving around the idea of it being built as a game as a service, and I feel like it dominated a lot of the ideas pushing forward for this game. And I still wish that this game stuck to the vision that I wanted when this game was first teased by Square Enix. For anyone that remembers, the first time this game was teased, I think, was like 2016, 2017. I think it was called the Avengers Project. It was like the CD trailer where they showed Captain America Shield and then Thor's hammer and things like that. And you heard Hulk roaring and thing. And, and it just it was just like, oh man, this is happening. We're finally getting an Avengers game. And I really, really wish that it happened in kind of an open world city, you know, because I look like I look at Batman Arkham Knights, I'm like, man, I want that, but with the Avengers and being able to fly around and navigate the city and being able to, you know hey, this building is on fire or something like that. Go and save these people and actually being able to play out and, and being a hero, sort of some, similar to what we saw with Spider-Man on the PS4. But that's not what we got. This is what they went for. And, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Like I said, if, if you love the Avengers and you're into that type of game, you're really going to love this game. Uh, outside of that, I would not even <laughs> think about picking it up kind of to be honest at all you know especially if you play the beta the beta really gives you an idea of what the combat is like and and some of the missions are going to be like and you know they are really really repetitive now moving on to our first story it's round number four of apple versus fortnite epic has filed a new preliminary injunction to force apple to allow fortnite back onto the app store and the new filing epic argues that more than its reputation has been harmed now ever since epic started this sort of battle the first thing i thought to myself was okay epic must have calculated the potential of how much money it will lose if Fortnite, excuse me, not if, when Fortnite is removed from the App Store, because there's no way that Tim Sweeney and, and, and his team of lawyers did not anticipate that by playing this chess move, you know, by, by moving our bishop to this square, that Apple would not retaliate by removing Fortnite. Like, the, the, there's no way in their strategy means they did not think that would happen. But I always have wondered. Uh, you know, how big of a platform is iOS to Fortnite? And my personal thought was, okay, if they're taking this risk, then that must mean that it's probably not that big of a chunk of Fortnite players, but I was sorely, like very, very wrong. So according to Epic, they say that their daily active users on iOS have declined by over 60% since Fortnite's removal from the App Store. 
Epic also says iOS is the biggest platform for Fortnite. 116 million registered users or nearly a third of the 350 million registered users epic says fortnite has attracted in total it also claims 63 percent of fortnite users on ios access fortnite only on ios and as the only way for people to play the game so 100 they had 116 million registered users that doesn't mean that all those people were active it just means that they registered a fortnite account but that that's nearly a third of 300 million registered users across all platforms. So we're talking about Android, PC, Xbox, PlayStation, Switch. Uh, you know, later this year is going to launch on Series X. It's going to launch on PlayStation 5. So for one platform alone to hold one third of that population is a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of people. And... For Epic to claim that 63% of Fortnite users play the game only on Apple. That means that when they created their account, they've never used that account on any other system. 63% is a very, very high number. That's obviously more than 50%. That's almost that's the majority. So Epic says it's worried that it may never see these users again. As Fortnite community of players have been torn apart, Epic also claims that Apple is threatening to deny any attempts to apply for a new developer account for at least a year, which is crazy. Quoting a communication from Apple itself, and is arguing that the harm it would endure by being denied the opportunity to access even a single new user among the 1 billion plus iOS users for at least the next year is harm worth creating a preliminary injunction for. Now, <clears throat> this injunction will be heard by the same judge that denied Epic's previous uh, request to keep Fortnite in the App Store, but did approve their request to uh, not allow Apple to remove you know, Unreal Engine or mess with their developer app uh, status when it came to Unreal Engine and being updated because it will affect millions of, of, of users. It will affect multiple companies. And the judge, I think it was the, the right decision, the judge determined that since this really began with Fortnite breaking the rules, it should not extend to Unreal Engine, uh, for example. But to find out that uh, <laughs> right now what could be happening is that Apple could be saying, hey, you know, not only can you not get Fortnite back into the store for at least a year, you won't even be able to apply for a new developer account for at least one year. And this is something I was talking about weeks ago when we spoke about this on the show, which is I hope that Epic understands that this fight they're about to take could last, you know, up to a year. When, when we talked about sort of the fight that they have with Google over Android and not placing Fortnite on the Play Store, that lasted, I think, 16 to 18 months but obviously, hearing these numbers that came out, is it's very, very different. Now, one of my favorite parts of this injunction, which was like, I think it was like 30 pages or something like that, was this sort of, this plea from Epic that they put in there. And it's like the most dramatic <laughs> thing I've ever read in my life. And before I give a, a further thoughts on this, I just wanted to read this part, which says, Fortnite is more than just a game. It is an intensely social community 
whose value to its users depends in large part on the ability to connect with other users. Epic has built a community that people rely on. By removing Fortnite from the App Store, Apple has cleaved millions of users from their friends and family in the Fortnite community, which entirely depends on connectivity. The user outcry has been deafening, showing real harm to the public interest. Daily active users on iOS have declined by over 60% since Fortnite removal from the app store and removal already has resulted in loss of goodwill and irreparable damage to epic's reputation the continued loss of fortnite as a gathering place for users on all platforms will lead epic's customers to defect epic may never see these users again it will also be denied the opportunity to access even a single new user among the 1 billion plus ios users for at least the next year Definitely my favorite uh, sentence was Apple has cleaved millions of users from their friends and families in the Fortnite community. Now, I've been saying this since we first talked about this story a few weeks ago, and it's it's already happening. You know, I, I was saying that these users are not going to be angry at Apple. They're going to be angry at Epic because now that we see the numbers, we understand what Epic was willing to gamble. And on one hand, I, I look at it and I go, wow, that's that's something not many companies would do. You know, you're putting up a lot of money to for the, you know, the slight chance that you might get a change made. And I understand that when this all happened, a lot of people looked at it as, oh, this is just Epic trying to, you know, uh, get more power by putting their app store into the apple store it's because they don't want to spend that 30 percent. but you realize look at these numbers that tim sweeney's journey was a noble one meaning that he wants this change to affect everyone and you realize that it has to be for that reasoning for them to put up that amount of money but this fight could have been done. They, you know, the way I looked at it, the way I look at this is that they still could have taken Apple to court over his terms of service, you know, over, you know, and open up an antitrust case without poking the bear, without trying to put their own payment system into the game, or at the very least, putting their own payment system into the game. And when Fortnite was removed, reverse the decision take the payment system away so fortnite can go back on the app store and still kind of use that as an argument in your case so you know the fact that they you know are 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 putting 116 million registered users and we're talking about once again 63 percent of those users only access it on ios what that means is basically you're telling all your users like hey remember all that money that you spent all those v bucks that you spent all that stuff that you accrued either you're gonna go have to play this game on a different platform or all that stuff is now lost for who knows how long and epic was the one that made that decision to kind of you know, send those soldiers to war for them. Like this is undeniable proof that they were weaponizing their fan base. And I think Epic kind of overestimated what their fan base would do for them and thinking that, look, if we remove this, we're going to have 100 million users spamming Apple to put this back on. But as I said before, that the, the blame is always going to go back to Epic. And that's exactly what's happening. And in this injunction, Epic also 
confirmed something that Tim Sweeney has been talking about for a while, and I've theorized that this is where Fortnite is moving towards, where they, they argued also that, you know, the other irreparable damage that this may cause is the fact that Fortnite is moving towards becoming a metaverse. And, you know, if you don't know what a metaverse is, the easiest way I can explain it is the film and book Ready Player One. Uh, and I definitely don't have time to get into it here. So look into what a metaverse is. But it's almost like a, a persistent virtual space with its own economy and, you know, all these other different definitions about it. But Tim Sweeney has been trying to build this for about a decade now. And Fortnite is the closest that he's gotten. So part of the argument to the court is telling them that, you know, Fortnite is not just a game, it's a platform. It's it's similar to like Facebook, for example. It's where people come together to congregate in our space, in our game. Honestly, it's not going to work. <laughs> I don't think that the judge is going to grant them this preliminary injunction. And it sort of looks like maybe Epic wrote a check that they won't be able to cash because I tell you one thing. Uh, the $2 trillion company is not going to be the one that's going to fold because this is this is like an example. This is a very important uh, <clears throat> fork in the road for Apple. This is literally like someone comes into your casino, uh, cheats and steals you out of your money. You know, this is casino. You have to take them to the back room and, and, and take the hammer <laughs> to, to, to the dominant hand. This is literally what it is. You have to, Apple, I think they feel like they have to make an example out of what's happening right now to, to scare all these other companies from doing the same. So, you know, we'll see how this plays out. But round four, once again, goes to goes to Apple. Apple is, is dominating this, this fight. Now, in the next story, we're going to talk about NVIDIA. NVIDIA unveiled their RTX lineup last week. The RTX 3070 card, 8 gigabytes of memory that is supposedly 60% faster than the RTX 2070. The 3080 will use 10 gigabytes of GDDR6X memory, which they claim to be twice as fast as the 2080. And the RTX 3090 can handle 8K gaming at 60 frames per second. Now, <clears throat> I was a little bit concerned about this NVIDIA event because they've been teasing it for about a month now. Full disclosure, I'm not really a huge PC gamer. I have a, a laptop and Alienware, but this thing is definitely showing its age. And I've been wanting to, to create a PC build for quite some time and, and honestly hearing about these graphics cards kind of renewed that interest and got me a little bit excited again so I, I was kind of a little bit concerned like man nvidia has been teasing this for you know almost like a month now it feels counting down to all these different milestones with nvidia and you know talking about the announcement of like far cry and what that meant for graphics during that time it, it was a really cool build-up <clears throat> and i really do think that they kind of did pull it off when it came to this this unveiling because not only does the technology sound great all the other things that they talked about uh sounded really cool that like nvidia they were talking about like a, this nvidia broadcast for example which i thought was was really cool technology um 
shoot, I I, I should have wrote, written this in, into my notes. The only thing in my notes are talking about the graphics card. But uh, I don't remember the exact name of it, but that latency technology that they were talking about being built into the monitors, 360 hertz, I think it was. like Everything, everything tech-wise sounded really, really cool that they were talking about. But the power of these graphics card is is pretty insane. And then when you talk about the value proposition, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see uh, uh, what the competitors have to, to announce because they came out so strong. So the RTX 3070, $500 in October, the 3080, $700, September 17th, sounds like an amazing value. And then, and then the big boy, the BFG RTX 3090, September 24th, $1,500. It's definitely, it's one of those things I looked at. I was like, man, this is so excessive. This is like the Lamborghini of of graphics cards like 8k gaming at 60 frames per second like this is something that a regular gamers is never even gonna see the full value of it but if if you have access to all that an amazing uh, monitor or tv and you know you can you can drop the money on it like this is something that i can see like future proofing you for for years on end but uh, not only are, is the value proposition great, the prices are amazing, and you know they come out this month. So you know, I, I, this is kind of one of the horses that I, I I kind of beat to death on Camp Koji. But I just love when companies announce new technology, new products, and then it's like, yeah, you'll be able to get that right this month. Just kind of keep that rolling, keep that buzz going. You know, to know that just in a few weeks, those thirty eighties. You know, we're going to see reviews and previews from everybody. We're going to see fan feedback from that. People adding it to their builds or creating new builds around that graphics card. And I think it's kind of cool to, you know, we're, we're about to go into this next generation of consoles. And I feel like PC gaming has been a little bit quiet. So it's, it's kind of cool to, 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 um, to hear from one of the biggest players to say, like, look, your consoles are kind of cool, but that doesn't mean that you're going to surpass PC. Because uh, we're going to get out builds and, and graphics and all these cool new cards before you even have an opportunity to announce a price and date for your systems. We're going to price and date a graphics card that's going to uh, really push gaming to the next level for PC gamers. So um, just really, really wanted to quickly touch on that. I think, uh, you know, it was just a really, really good presentation. And it, it's just it just feels refreshing to hear from the PC gaming community and, and one of its biggest supporters and one of its biggest players in that space come forward and, and, and uh, put these graphics cards out. And especially at the price that they put a, uh, put it out at, I mean, you know, these cards could have easily sold for 300 bucks more each, you know, that 3080 for a thousand, you know, maybe even $900, they still could have absolutely gotten away with that price. So for them to price at $700, um, it's just absolutely just a great, great value for consumers. And, you know, one of the things that I, I look at this year is, is this is a tough year, especially for us in, in the United States of America. And, uh, you know, when it comes to spending on, on entertainment, that's still a very, very important value for a lot of consumers um so being able to access this type of technology at that price point i think is is really really good to see um from 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 companies really putting that stuff out there and for our final story we're going to talk about nintendo super mario brothers 35th anniversary 
direct. This is something that I think we've been talking about it for the better part of this year that Nintendo was set to do something for Mario's 35th anniversary. I mean, there was no way that they were going to allow this anniversary to just go by without doing something uh, for Mario. And I think that the you know 3D remakes, for example, leaked a little while ago. 3D World getting put on Switch leaked a while ago. But it was good to see uh, confirmation coming from Nintendo. As we know, Nintendo's been awfully quiet this year ever since um, COVID-19 and coronavirus uh, really started to take hold of the world and this country. So it's good to see them uh, put something out there, make some announcements, because I know that some fans were very, very kind of concerned in terms of what exactly was going on. So we're going to go through this direct. It started with a Game & Watch style handheld loaded with the original Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers of Lost Levels, and a Mario-themed edition of the classic Game & Watch title, Ball. That's going to be $49.99 coming out this year. It is going to be limited, so if you're looking forward to that, make sure you're paying attention to pre-orders and stuff like that. This, I, I, I really I can't stress this enough. I, I can almost guarantee you that they did not manufacture many of these um, for a few reasons. Number one, this Game & Watch style handheld is directly, like if you look at the box art, it directly references Mario's 35th anniversary. Anytime Nintendo does an anniversary and there's a logo created for it, for example, uh, anything that that logo is printed onto has to be limited. So you, you take that on top of the fact that this is a, a, uh, a handheld, a, you know, I, they're just not going to make that many of these. So if it's something you're looking forward to, make sure you pay attention because I feel like these are going to go really, really fast once pre-orders start. And then your only choice is going to be eBay, which you definitely are not going to be paying $50 for that. That was followed by confirmation that Super Mario 3D World is getting a Switch port, online and local co-op multiplayer and then new levels as part of something called Bowser's Fury, which they kind of didn't really go too in-depth on. They just kind of showed this short teaser about it. Um, so we don't really know exactly um, what that's about. Um, you know, Super Mario 3D World was actually one of my favorite Mario games. It's just a really, really classic 3D platformer. So I think it's really good to see it coming to the Switch I think this is something that, you know, when we think about the Switch and the fact that it launched, you know, or, or the launch window was Mario Kart 8 Deluxe and they kind of opened that window for Wii U ports to come over. Obviously, Wii U was, you know, saying it, it was a failure for it for a Nintendo system is probably an understatement. So to see them putting this out here or, or, or putting it back uh, on Switch, I think is really, really important because I know a lot of people missed that game just sort of just like any other wii u port that they've done so far uh they're also announced a cat mario and cat, cat peach amiibos coming and that releases on february 12th 2021 we don't know what those amiibo do just yet they didn't go that in depth into it but 
Once again, I, I thought this was really, really important for them to do. Then they announced Super Mario Brothers 35, which Nintendo calls a competitive online battle game. You compete against 34 other players to be the last Mario standing. Enemies of Figa will be sent to other players' courses, and players can activate special items. Launches on October 1st, digital-only exclusive to Nintendo Switch Online members. The game will be playable until March 31st, 2021, so it is available for a limited time. I find it kind of funny. Some people were, were joking around. That uh, I think it was, I mean, it might have been earlier this year that someone programmed a Super Mario Battle Royale. You can go up against 99 other players to try to get through a Mario level. And obviously, Nintendo sent them a cease and desist. And people were like, oh, I wonder if it's because they were making this. And no, that's not why. It's because it was a Mario game <laughs> like that had absolutely nothing to do with uh, this game being in development at Nintendo. Those things are not tied together. Then they announced Mario Kart Live Home Circuit, which I thought was actually pretty cool. Created in partnership with Velen Studios, Velan Studios. Mario Kart Live Home Circuit brings the fun of the Mario Kart series into the real world by using a Nintendo Switch or Nintendo Switch Lite system to race against opponents using a physical cart. $99.99, there's a Mario set or a Luigi set. Uh, it's kind of cool. It's like an AR experience. You use your on your switch so you can place physical gates one thing i thought was kind of cool is when you hit a cart with an item the cart stops for a little while uh, you could play it with up to four players obviously you will need four carts comes out october 16th once again a hundred dollars i can see this being really really popular for the upcoming holiday season so i could see this being in stock throughout the rest of the year hopefully they can keep up with the demand because i feel like this is really really this is going to sell really 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 well and i like to see nintendo experimenting with ar you know, this is something that we actually i actually just spoke about last week about if there's an upcoming switch i could see nintendo adding a camera and doing some something with ar so it's kind of cool to see them actually applying that um so I, I, like i said it looks it looks really cool uh then they announced some product announcements, t-shirts based on the upcoming Splatfest, Super Mario items, and Animal Crossing, a pair of Mario Pumas, which promptly sold out really, really quickly. Black Milk is doing a clothing line, Mario Monopoly, and Jenga. Uh, then, they, then they announced Super Mario All-Stars was added to the eShop. And then finally, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, which is Super Mario 64, Sunshine, and Galaxy in one compilation. Uh, and then the news that sort of uh, struck the internet and had everyone uh, speaking about was the fact that the Super Mario 3D All-Stars will be sold from September, September 18th until March 31st, 2021. The physical edition is limited, and they announced that the digital version will only be on the eShop until March 31st. Now... Fans immediately responded by calling out Nintendo for taking advantage of FOMO in order to drive sales. For those that don't know, FOMO stands for um, fear of missing out. Uh, and that's false. That's just wrong. Uh, that's not true. Others accused them of doing this for the expressed uh, purpose of padding their fourth quarter to make shareholders happy, basically as a way to increase sales and bring in extra revenue. That just had me laughing. 100% absolutely wrong. No way that Nintendo um, 
thought of it in that way. So um, <clears throat> the question is why? Why did they do this? Why is it that, you know, it's understandable to make a physical version limited, but why make the digital version limited? Now, my initial theory is that it's limited because the bundle was attached to Mario's 35th anniversary, sort of in the same way that that Game & Watch handheld is limited, that free Mario 35 game is limited, it's only available until March 31st. This is something that's not new for Nintendo. Whenever they celebrate a character's anniversary, whether it was uh, Zelda's 30th anniversary, or excuse me, Zelda's 25th anniversary, uh, or Mario's 25th anniversary, which it did 10 years ago. For those that, that uh, for, uh, don't remember, when Mario had his 25th anniversary, Nintendo re-released Super Mario All-Stars on the Wii. It was a special red box, as packaging. And, and that was limited. It wasn't something that retailers could continue to reorder. And the reason why is because Nintendo doesn't want to want anyone to walk into a shop and see a box that calls out Mario's 25th anniversary, but Mario's actually been out for 26, 27 years, for example. Nintendo wants the celebration to be just like any celebration limited you know when you celebrate your birthday you usually don't keep the happy birthday banner or balloons in your house for another year or two or uh, i mean i don't think you do <laughs> frankly i don't know if anyone out there actually does that but that's the reason why a lot of these items are limited so the physical version of that 3d all-stars makes sense that it's limited and you know at first i initially thought okay maybe on the back of that box it does call out the 35th anniversary but it could just be that this bundle, when they got into a meeting and talked about bundling these three games together, the purpose of it was, okay, we're going to put these three games together in order to celebrate the fact that Mario's been around for 35 years. Now, my initial theory was, um, you know, what I would like to believe is that Nintendo would then proceed to sell the game separately on the eShop afterwards. Um, but, you know, that was my initial thought. But as a few days passed, I kind of, you know, I personally, I can't imagine them doing that and not making it clear beforehand. I think it would be really weird if March 31st hits and then all of a sudden you can buy, you know, uh, Super Mario Sunshine for 20 bucks and 64 is going to be on there for 20 bucks, for example. Um so now I, I do honestly think that Nintendo is going to remove these games off the eShop and, and, and they won't come back. And some of the questions are, well, why, why is Nintendo doing that? And few, two things. Let me go back to, to the two rumors. Number one, Nintendo is taking advantage of fear of missing out in order to drive sales. I can 100% tell you that that is a thousand percent false that's just not the way nintendo thinks as a company look when nintendo has pricing strategies for their games they do it because they can do it but they also are not that you know egregious in their thought process about making money like look nintendo obviously likes to make money <laughs> you know they love seeing those profits grow but I guarantee you that they don't go into meetings 
with someone saying like, hey, guys, if we only make this you know, available for seven months, we can drive sales. I guarantee you 1000% that that's not the thought process of NCL. It's just not the way they think. You know, we're talking about a company that we know publicly, for example, that Iwata and Miyamoto and other people that run the company took uh, salary breaks when the company was doing bad. You know, can we really think about that company, that, you know, sitting around and saying like, hey guys, what's a really good strategy for us to keep, you know, to, to make more than we could be? No, that's not, that's not really what they're doing. Um, <clears throat> the whole thing about them doing this in order to make their uh, fourth quarter look good, uh, before the fiscal year ends in March 2021, I, I I just thought that was really laughable. There's just no way. You know, we're talking about a company that cannot keep systems on store shelves. Like we've like think about the last time. Think about the last time that we had a console that the moment it goes up, Amazon, Best Buy, Walmart, Target, it sells out in less than five minutes. Like think about the last time that 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 happened to any console. And I'll tell you, I'm going to give you the answer. The last time that happened was the Super Nintendo Classic and the NES Classic. That was really the last time that there was this type of fever, like you got to get to a quick uh, before it sells out. And you're and and we're going into a holiday right now where two of uh, two of your biggest competitors are going to try to convince people that they should go buy a five hundred or six hundred dollars system, and here you are going to a holiday with a two three hundred dollars system, with with one of the strongest first party lineups ever made, um, and you're going to convince me <laughs> that Nintendo sat around a meeting and said, guys, we know that. <laughs> This, this this fourth quarter is going to be kind of tough. So we had this game coming out. We're only going to be making it available for seven months in order to drive sales. You know, we're going to, our entire final quarter is going to rely on these 13, 20 year old games. We're going to use this to drive our holiday. Come on, man. That's just ridiculous. It's not true. Once again, a thousand percent, it's not true. Um, I really just look at this as this was an NCL decision, Nintendo Japan, where I'm going to tell you something about Nintendo that some people don't know. Uh, Nintendo, a lot of the decisions that are made by Nintendo are done by NCL, Nintendo Japan. Uh, they're the ones who make the broad stroke decisions when it comes to their products, and that's where everything is developed and made. That's really where the journey begins. When it comes to NCL, they don't like to focus on the past too much. That's just how they are the company. They they understand they they as the years have gone by, NCL has, has begun to understand how important and how imperative nostalgia is here in the United States of America. Uh, nostalgia is not really something that's big in Japan. And uh, but with that being said, they understand. You know, celebrating and looking back, and, and and celebrating their 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 mascots and you know their icons and some of their greatest games and the memories that people have attached to them, but they don't like to spend too much time looking back. They want you to look forward. They want to talk about Nintendo Switch. They don't want to spend too much time talking about Super Mario sixty four. They rather you be talking about Super Mario Odyssey and whatever the next Mario is. And that will always supersede profit. 
100%. It just always will. And if you don't believe me, then if, if I was wrong about that, that means that you would be able to walk into a store right now and buy an NES or SNES Classic. There's a reason why those consoles do not exist. And it's not just because they virtually added them to Nintendo Switch Online, for example. It's because Nintendo doesn't want that on the shelf. They want parents, they want players, they want kids talking about Nintendo Switch. They don't want you to go to a store to buy an NES Classic and play a Mario game from over 30 years ago. They want you playing Odyssey. They want you playing the newest Mario Kart. And I think they're right in that sense. So that's what I mean in terms of these decisions are not profit driven. It's just not the type of company that Nintendo is. If that was the case, they would have gone, you know, full mobile when it came to the monetization of their mobile games, for example. Nintendo's just not that type of company. Now, the other question that came out of this was where was Super Mario Galaxy 2? You know, not only was omitted from the collection, but it was missing from a final screen at the end of the direction on Mario games. Um, fans are just reading too much into this. You know, a, a lot of people are saying like, oh, does this mean that there's a Galaxy 2 remake on the way, for example? And sometimes I feel like people overreact so much to things nowadays that they don't stop and think about the context of something and like replay moments, because that's what I did first thing I did when people were talking about this, I went back to the video. And if you watch the video and you hear the voiceover, the voiceover clearly says, check out these Mario games you can play on Nintendo Switch, something along those lines. So it's obvious that the title card is supposed to be for Mario games that you can access on your Switch. Every Mario game that they showed on that photo, you can access on your Switch in one way or another, right? Uh, it would make no sense to put Galaxy 2 on there because you can't access Galaxy 2. You know, they put the Galaxy and Sunshine boxes on there because that 3D collection is coming out. You'll be able to play it soon on the Switch. The one thing on that title card that was a legit mistake is that they showed New Smart Brothers U instead of New Smart Brothers U Deluxe. And I feel like that was maybe a little bit of a, a, of a mistake. But still, technically, you can play Super Mario Brothers U on the Switch because the deluxe version came out. Now, the last thing that I wanted to talk about <laughs> when it came to this collection is it's $60. Look, I'm always one of those people that I can't stand when people tell other people, wow, I can't believe you spent that much money on that. Whoa, whoa you, those sneakers cost $200. I can't believe you spent $200 on a pair of sneakers. That, that TV was $2,000, man. I can't believe you spent $2,000 on the TV. Look, if you work for your money, if you earned it, you should be able to spend your money however you see fit. I never judge anyone for the way that they spend their money. It, I, I might not spend it the way that you spent it, but that doesn't mean that I should judge you for what you spent your money on. But $60 for this collection is an absolute insult. Now, just this month, we have three games being re-released for $39.99. We have Kingdoms of Amalori Reckoning, Mafia Definitive Edition, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. Two of those three games, Mafia Definitive and Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2, were rebuilt completely from the ground up. Mafia has new script, new cutscenes, 
new gameplay. They changed the way the city looks. Tony R Pro Skater 1 and 2 added new skaters. They uh, changed a lot. Obviously, graphically, it looks amazing. Tony R Pro Skater is technically two games. Still $39.99. Crash and Spyro both have re-released trilogies. $39.99. So if we're going to argue about the amount of games. This argument that Nintendo made this... $60 because they don't want to cheapen the Mario character and they want to retain the value of the character of Mario or or retain the value of these games, for example, is just laughable to me. Like we're, we're talking about the same company that has put Mario on a Monopoly box, a Jenga box, on breakfast cereal. You know, if that were the case, there would never be an, a Nintendo Selects, uh, uh, Nintendo Selects line. Mario games would never be available free as part of your Nintendo online membership if they don't want to cheapen the integrity of Super Mario World, for example, which is one of the greatest Mario games, right? You know, we're talking about three games. Super Mario 64 gets a bit of a resolution jump. That game came out 24 years ago. Super Mario Sunshine, 18 years ago. They added widescreen, a little bit of resolution jump. The game doesn't even support GameCube controller support on the Nintendo Switch. Galaxy came out 13 years ago. Resolution jump and a widescreen support. Look, if you're cool with spending $60 on these games that were released decades ago with no effort, pretty much little to no effort put into upgrading them, that's fine. I'm not saying you're you're dumb. For, for spending $60 on this game. I understand people talking about, well, well these games are, are, you know, worth $20 each. They're amazing games, right? I'm cool with you spending those $60, but don't defend this as anything other than what it is. Like, I feel like this is the ultimate Nintendo stand test. You want to you wanna identify a Nintendo stand? Ask them, hey, do you think $60 for this collection is a good price? <laughs> Look, Nintendo is charging $60 because they can, not because they have to. And I think that's that's the way that we have to that that's the way you have to look at something like this. You know? Once again, I was just talking about those earlier in the show, those Nvidia graphics cards, $700, right? They could charge 900, but they choose to charge 700. Activision for that Tony Hawk 1 plus 2 they could have charged even $49. You know, they could have gotten away with $59.99 because people would have looked at it and said, look, I understand that this game is old, but look at all the work that they did to rebuild this game. Has online, create a park, create a scale. They kept everything and added much more. They could have spent, they could have charged $69.99, $59.99 and still made money, but they chose to, to charge $40. Nintendo could have sold these for 30 for 40 bucks, but they charge 60 because they can, because they know that Nintendo fans are desperate for something on Switch. They know that Nintendo fans, uh, they understand the power of nostalgia, you know? So look, if you're cool with spending $60 on these games, that's fine. I'm not saying you're an idiot for spending 60 bucks, but do not try to defend this decision. Look, I'm one of the biggest Super Mario Sunshine fans I know. 
I have been defending this game since the day it came out. I still think, to me, it's one of the greatest 3D Mario games. I think it's the one that gets dumped on the most. I don't understand why. I think it still has the best soundtrack, some of the best platforming, the best challenge. I love the flood. I love everything about Sunshine. There's no way I'm giving Nintendo $60 to access this game. It's just not going to happen. And even if they sold this game separately for 20 bucks, I still probably wouldn't. The fact that they couldn't have even put GameCube controller support into it proves exactly what this is, which is Nintendo said, hey, let's find a cool way to celebrate Mario's 35 years. And someone brought this up and they said, okay, give me a report. Tell me how much this is going to cost for us to port it over. This probably wasn't even Nintendo that made this port. They probably even brought in another company just to 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 create these ports for them. You know, this is something that was very very cheap. That's gonna make them a lot of money. And at first, I looked at it as like, man, there's no way that Nintendo's gonna put any work into um putting a game from one system to another. Even if it's just a resolution jump, and then after six months, just not let anyone access those games anymore. But that's exactly why they didn't put that much work into it, because they knew from the beginning, look, I don't want people going into a store, going to the eShop to buy Galaxy, to buy Sunshine, to buy a game like 64 from 24 years ago. I want them to go to the eShop. I want them to go to their local Best Buy and get odyssey i want them playing the latest mario game and that's really what it is i do not think that they are gonna bring galaxy 2 to the uh, nintendo switch i do not think that's going to happen i understand that people looked at it as like man this was one of the the, the the best ones but i feel like the fact that galaxy exists on the switch in one form or another even if it's a limited time i think it's proof that they won't do galaxy 2 they the only way they would do it is if they do something like what they did with 3d uh 3d world which is you know kind of a dedicated effort to put this out there and how weird would it be if you go into a store and there's a super mario galaxy 2 for switch and then the question is well where's the first one and you can't access it because they removed it and then how else would you package that game, rebrand it? I just kind of don't think Nintendo would go through all of that, especially with what I'm saying, which is they want to focus on uh, the, the, you know, the future in these new games. And, uh, you know, th- th- look, that's the thing. Like I said, it's, I, I don't understand how people can have that much brand loyalty to a company that they can't see something that's right in front of their faces, that they can't understand that, you know, when you when you're in an industry, you understand that the industry sort of supports each other to set a precedent, to set something that, you know, consumers become accustomed to. And, you know, when you break away from that so egregiously like this, it's it, I mean, this is egregious. You're talking about three games that came out decades ago. And you're charging 60 dollars for them it's madness to me but you cannot defend nintendo from this you can't say oh they're doing this because they're you know it's the integrity of the games no no they're doing it because they can and i respect that 
I respect that decision. Nintendo's one of the few that could get away with something like this. Trust me, PlayStation can't do this. They just, they just can't. They can't, you know, add the God of War trilogy to PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and it be the original resolution looking exactly how it is and get away with charging $60. They just can't. Because Sony fans are not going to be at the front line saying, no, you know, God of War is the integrity of the franchise. You know, they have to, you know, retain that value. But Nintendo knows their fans are going to do that. One of the first things I did when this thing came out, I texted a Nintendo stand that I know. And I was like, I can't believe Nintendo's charging $60. And you know what, what he said? He was like, oh, these games are gold. They're gold. Gold doesn't lose its value. And I was like, man, there it is. That stand talk. And that's exactly what Nintendo wants. They want their stands to be at the front lines to say, no, Nintendo's, this isn't about profit. This, yes, it is, man. <laughs> There's a reason why if you go to a store right now, Legends of the Breath of the Wild is still $59.99. Three years later, never goes on sale. The reason why is because that game has never stopped selling. And if I can continue to sell this game at 60, why would I ever drop it to 40 or 50? There's a reason why games have price drops and sales is because that number dips. The stock starts to, you know, if we look at it like it's like a stock market starts to dip down. These companies have to drop the price in order to renew interest and bring people in. Nintendo never has to do that. So why would they? So it's, it's just one of those things where once again, please, please, for the love of everything holy, stop defending these companies with your life. They will not do the same for you. These are companies. They are not human beings. Stop spending so much time and energy defending these practices when on the surface we can see exactly what they are doing. It's very, <laughs> very obvious Apple charges $200 for some earbuds that they manufacture for like 10 bucks, $5 because they can. That's why they do it. That's why Nintendo's charging $6 because they can. You can spend the money, it's okay. But don't tell me that they're doing this because they must maintain the integrity of the Mario franchise and Mario as a character. Not going to happen. Hot releases for the week, September 8th, we have Party Hard 2, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch, Star Renegades, Linux, Mac, and PC, Kingdoms of Amalur, Re-Reckoning, PC, PS4, Xbox One, RPG Maker, MV, PS4, and Switch, September 10th, we have Mo, es Mo Astray for Switch, and then we, we have the visual novel, Vampire of the Masquerade, Shadows of New York, PC, PS4, Switch, and Xbox One. One, time to wrap it up. These are stories we didn't have time to get to. Crunchyroll and Adult Swim are teaming up to develop a 13-episode anime series based on Shenmue. Love this idea. I think Shenmue has a great story. I think it has a great backbone. And I think it, it, it could definitely exist outside of the video game, especially since the video game, you know, the pacing of it. It could take so long to get through that that story. I think it's great to bring this to more people. Since it is a Shenmue product, I'm looking forward to watching this in the year 2025. The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt Complete Edition is being re-released on PS5 and Xbox Series X in 2021. Visually enhanced, ray tracing, faster load times. The next edition will not only be free for PS4 and Xbox One owners, get that free upgrade, 
but also PC owners will also get the free upgrade. Pretty cool. Look, Witcher 3 is one of those games, I guess, like the greatest game according to everyone. I have not been able to play it. I, I just feel like it didn't stand that test of time to me, and I didn't play when it first came out. Maybe this might be the time that I play, maybe fifth time's the charm when they put these additions to it. Maybe I'll go back and look into it. EA apologized and removed in-game ads for the Amazon Prime show, The Boys Amidst Unanimous fan outcry i mean what a surprise that ea is surprised that uh forcing gamers that paid 60 dollars for their game to watch uh ad <laughs> while they're playing the game what a surprise that people would be upset by that i just i can't stand when companies do this when they do something that they know people are not going to like there's no way ea sat in that meeting on their Zoom meeting right now and said, man, fans are going to love this. They're going to love being able to see a commercial for the boys while playing their video game that they paid $60 for. They sat around their table and said, hey, you know what? Let's try this. If enough people complain, we'll just we'll just take it off. No big deal. But I think it's worth the try. And um, what, what I found funny about this is that they actually could have gotten away with something like this if EA was smart about it. If they would have implemented this as a choice. So for example, next time you boot up UFC, there's something that says, hey, would you like to, to run ads? We're going to run ads during replays. But if you opt into this program, we're going to give you UFC points, which is the in-game currency. I guarantee you a lot of people would opt into that because honestly, it really wasn't that bad. A lot of people were making it seem like it was like a two-minute commercial in the middle of a match. It was during a replay. It briefly showed the boys very, very similar to what you would see if you watch a UFC fight. Even if you paid $100 for that pay-per-view, you're still going to see that, for example. And I think, in one hand, I think people overreacted. But on the other hand, I understand because EA didn't make it very, very clear when you bought the game. But they could have gotten away with it. All they had to do was make it a choice and give people free points. People would have said yes. People would have sat there and said, oh, two seconds to watch the boys. Something that, I, if I'm a UFC fan, is already normal when I watch UFC. And you're going to give me free UFC points? Okay, I'll opt in. EA, get smart or hire me. Ubisoft has announced their next Ubi Forward event will be held on September 10th, along with confirming a new name for Gods and Monsters, Immortals Phoenix Rising. Shortly after, a Microsoft listing was published showing a December 3rd launch date along with screenshots. Now, I first thought, look, this is unlikely. Ubisoft is releasing Watch Dogs Legion in October, Assassin's Creed in November. There's no way they're going to release three games three months apart, or excuse me, even a few weeks apart. It just doesn't make any sense. But now I have a crazy theory. This might be completely false. But look, they're, they're dropping this December. Maybe they'll do the one thing that I think companies need to start doing in the next generation, which is experimenting with releasing single-player games in portions, instead of putting out a full-fledged 60-hour, $60, $60 game, you put out a $20, $30, 20-hour game. So what if Immortals is actually a series, and the first entry is Phoenix Rising coming out on December 3rd, $20, $30, and then the next one is Immortals, Zeus's Wrath, or something like that, and it comes out next August, and that one's $20 or $30, for example. I think that will actually be kind of cool but obviously we'll just have to wait and see if that crazy theory turns out to be true and that's our show i actually don't really have a shout out shout out to anyone that's listening to this please check out our uh youtube channel like i said that uh me talking about uh marvel's avengers is on there so please check that out subscribe and like all that stuff really uh 
kind of helps out. If you're listening to this and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, uh, please leave us a review or share the uh, podcast. It really, really helps out. And I would really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel, and I will see you next week.